go. In fact, I think we should. Well, how should we even start this episode? I'll just start recording. We'll start it. Yeah, let's <laughs> All right. start it. All right, cool. All right, hello everyone. Uh, thanks for tuning in, or thanks for downloading, or thanks for streaming. Another edition of Cultural Class Podcast, uh, the podcast where we get to interact with people from different backgrounds, get to learn about other cultures and uh, how people do things in other parts of the world. Uh, today I have someone, a friend of mine uh, from Nepal. Uh, he actually comes from Kathmandu, which is the capital of Nepal. Uh, so welcome to the podcast, Agraj. Thank you, Nosa. It's my pleasure. How has it been so far? Today, this week, this year, this decade? It's, it's been quite a, a time for me because um, the decade, uh, where do you want me to start? Let's start from the beginning. Let's, let's start from the decade part. And it's been um, a transition for me coming from uh, a city in a, a country, mountainous country, uh, which is developing, and then coming, growing up there spending uh, most of my adult life till date. Uh, I was about 26 when I moved to the U.S. So, and then spending most of my adult life there and moving to the U.S. for school and uh, starting to work here. It's It's been, yeah, it's been quite an experience. Yeah, tell me about it. You talk about coming from a mountainous region, but you are currently in a mountainous region. Now, we're recording this episode in Denver, Colorado. Oh, in Aurora, Colorado, in, in Colorado. <laughs> so, <laughs> and how how is it still a different feeling? Because uh, it's different for me, like moving from uh, DC to Colorado. Like everywhere is so hilly, everywhere is so cold. Uh, how similar is uh, Colorado to Nepal? Yeah, in a lot of ways, Colorado is uh, uh, very similar to Nepal's. Uh, We've got mountains, and uh, it it does snow in a lot of parts of Nepal. But yeah. the city I grew up in, Kathmandu, it's a, a sort of a valley, and it's uh, elevated in about four, uh, 13, 20 meters height. Oh, okay. And that's, uh, yeah. And then um, it doesn't really snow there, and the winters are not, uh, don't go really below freezing. Wait, where, where is Kathmandu? What part of the country? The middle, the east, west, south? Uh, it's, uh, it's a little towards the east, but then uh, in the middle, if you, if Nepal is uh, like a rectangular geography, okay. and then a little towards the east, uh, but then more towards the central part of Nepal. Nepal, and that whole place is like valley. Yeah, Kathmandu is um, a valley. It is a very fertile valley. Mm. And then it was uh, like this takes our conversation back to why even Kathmandu uh, became the capital. So Nepal was fragmented into multiple small kingdoms. Okay. And then there was this king uh, who conquered all the kingdom. And then he saw this uh, really fertile valley and then thought, would be a nice place to farm and then uh, resettle his uh, people. So he went on and conquered this valley. It comprised of three small kingdoms, Kathmandu, Bhaktapur, and Lalitpur. Also, ba- Bhaktapur? Bhaktapur. Okay. And Lalitpur. Lalitpur, Lalitpur is also known as Patan. Patan. Yeah. So these three kingdoms comprise make the valley. And then there was um, towards the 
uh, southern part, there was another kingdom uh, named Kirtipur. So there were basically four four small kingdoms in this valley that is now the Kathmandu Valley. And then uh, it has um, it has really good climate because it does not get really cold during the winters and the summers are uh, do not get really hot. I remember not even having a fan when I was growing up as a really? kid. We didn't ne- we never needed a fan. It didn't get really hot. Oh, wow. Okay. But then now, a lot of construction. Kathmandu has turned into a concrete jungle. There's not a lot of green space. So it, it's changing. But it's, still, it doesn't really get hotter than uh, 34, 35 degrees in peak summer. Celsius or Fahrenheit? Celsius. Oh, okay. Gotcha. Yeah. I have to clarify, but <laughs> you know. Uh, is Kathmandu the most popular city in Nepal or you have other bigger cities? Uh, Kathmandu is definitely the most uh, uh, populated city. Okay. Uh, and because uh, the resources are mainly centralized in the capital city, uh, there are industries and then employment opportunities, good uh, healthcare facility and uh, educational institution. These are multiple factors that attract people in Kathmandu. And another reason I would see this, this is my personal opinion, how Kathmandu is so populated and then uh, so centralized is Nepal went through a um, 10-year-long insurgency, internal insurgency. Okay. There was a Maoist um, movement in Nepal, which uh, made it difficult for people to search for opportunity in other parts of the country. Mm-hmm. And people came to Kathmandu in search of mainly security and um, other um, amenities for living. So that was major reason where the other parts of the country were not um, did not have opportunity to develop themselves uh-huh. because security was main region reason. How, how long ago was this conflict? So the the Maoists came into mainstream politics and came to a, um, a consensus uh, with the uh, then government in two thousand six, and it was around ninety five ninety six when it started, and then yeah. Oh wow! So that's not that that uh, far back. No, not at all. It it is. I can I can remember the insurgency days when uh, I would travel outside the capital city, and then there would be a lot of security checks. Actually, my village. I was born in a village uh, that is about eighty kilometers northeast of Kathmandu, right. and then when I had to go to the village, it would take us about four hours or so. But then wow. with the security check and everything, the the time would be about six hours. Gotcha. We have to get off the bus and then walk for um, 500, 600 meters where yeah. the police or other security forces would screen us. And then uh, even if we had to go further from my village, in, even into remote places, there would be another screening from the, um, from the Maoist uh, side. So this was from the state side. Gotcha. So from the rebel side, also, there would be another screening in more rural parts. And there was a sort of a parallel government running uh, in the country. And that made it a little challenging for youth to be in the rural areas because um, they would be susceptible with uh, uh, joining the militant forces or mm. even the army. So they would be trapped. And a lot of them lead out of the country in search of opportunities or came to the capital city, look for more opportunities and uh, living a secure life. Yeah, that kind of reminds me of uh, the military dictatorship in Nigeria, where I'm from. It was almost like the same thing, uh, like the freedom of uh, just movement within the country was made difficult and a lot of people, you know, left and 
it was a whole shebang, but hey, you know, we are where we are. Take me back 28 plus years ago um, to when you were born, growing up. You, you talked to me about growing up without a fan. You didn't really need one. Talk to me about your village. Well, what's the name of your village? What was it, what were your earliest memories uh, growing up in, in that particular village? And what do you uh, cherish the most about you know growing up there? Yeah, sure. Uh, thanks for uh, taking me back into the memory lane and then uh, asking me to talk about my childhood because that is uh, really one of one of the best phases of my life. And now I realize at that time I was desperate to grow up and then be an adult. Yeah, growing, now I, growing up is a setup, right? Exactly. Yeah, now all, I all feel like bills. adulting is... <laughs> it's, it's, I would not recommend anyone to do that. It's in, in it inevitable. So just just pause, you pause your life when you're 16 and stay, stay 16 forever. <laughs> oh, yeah, totally. So um, I was born in this village. I was uh, born in a house. Not even the hospital, because uh, uh, mm. it was middle of the night. And the is nurse, that popular uh, in Nepal? Uh, nowadays, Home it's births? not. Okay. But uh, back then, we are talking about uh, thirty years back, right? Mm -hmm. And at that time, uh, uh, it might have been popular. But my both of my other sisters, I have uh, an elder sister, two elder sisters. So both of them were born in the hospital. Okay. Uh, but I was I happened to born in the house. Uh, and uh, after six months of uh, my birth, we my parents were already living in Kathmandu. So I just happened to be in my village, my ancestral house mm. at that time. So I, I actually grew up in Kathmandu, but I would spend a lot of my winter breaks in uh, home. And then... Where, where, where is home? What's the name uh, of your village? The village is called Kaleri. Kaleri. Yeah. Okay. But then it is in a, a district, Sindhupalchok. Okay. So that is the only district that uh, touches its borders with the capital city of Kathmandu. And with in north, it touches its border to Tibet. Really? So it is. So it, it is, stretches across the whole map? Uh, yeah. China. So towards the north. Towards so the it north. has a variety of uh, uh, landscapes like uh, uh, low, low elevated land. Mm. Where paddy can grow up to three times a year, really? up to like mountain peaks, which has snow all around the year. So it has a diverse geography. Yeah, it has. Does it have a diverse people and culture also? It does actually. Yeah, it does. It does have uh, people uh, uh, who like do farming in um, highly uh, highly uh, fertile land, but then also people who live in the mountains who herd yaks. And who mm. um, who don't have who don't have the land to grow paddy or wheat or even millet. What, what is paddy? Paddy is um, uh, what gives you rice. Oh, rice paddies. Rice paddies. Oh, okay, yeah. okay, okay, okay. Got, gotcha, gotcha. Oh, so, okay. Yeah, Nepal is mostly a rice rice growing kind of. Um, Please. Yeah, I'm thinking um, of importing some rice from from Nepal, probably because uh, the, the president of Nigeria just closed our land borders like a month ago, uh -huh. and he said they were going to remain closed uh, from till like January. So rice is like the most expensive uh, food item right now, because oh, most of yeah. the land importation borders where rice comes from is is pretty much uh, blocked. That must be difficult. Yeah, tell me about it, man. Like. Uh, you know, it's uh, a lot of things we take for granted here, you know, just eating rice and, you know, it's becoming so expensive. 
uh, back on cause of course short short shorter supply exactly um, and um, once you start living in scarcity you know the uh, importance of things right exactly exactly but back to you know when you were growing up so so you were born at home Mm -hmm. um what were your earliest moment growing up who were you as a child were you like playful were you always you know running around in the mountains uh, were you like a reserved kind of boy who, who was uh, a garage uh, growing up uh growing up i was uh, i had um some cases with my eyesight i i was born with uh, nystagmus syndrome it is uh, uh, a voluntary movement of uh, eyes without yeah and then in in addition to that i had cataract when i was born so at this age of 6 months i had my first cataract surgery wow. and then i was um, i was um, i grew up my early remembrance of growing up was with thick convex glasses uh, and that would make it really difficult for me to go out there and then play so i was more into studies and uh, i would i would be more uh, just on books and uh, classes and stuff but i would go out and play with friends and while growing up we were living in a rented uh, apartment so it was uh, a family of five and then we had our cousins who uh, came to kathmandu to for study and then they were living with us as well and we had a small business so our one of our staff also lived in our apartment so it was it was a large group of people living uh, in a three bedroom apartment and uh yeah that was uh, that was pretty much it and even in school i would uh, be at the front desk and then uh, obviously my strength then was not really uh, sports and other kind of things but then i found that i was i should cuz what i can do good is to do good in school yeah so uh, that was your sport right yeah that was my sport and i would um, i would do good at that and i was always uh, top of my class and uh, that's when it all uh, started and uh, yeah i made peace with my uh, uh, eye condition and stuff mm. and then growing up i went into looking uh, alternatives for those thick glasses and then uh, about the age of 14 or so i just went to uh, the hospital and then asked the doctors okay what i can do to get rid of these glasses and then mm. they happened to have a, a doctor from uh, australia coming in and then they suggested let's look into it and then they did a secondary uh, intraocular lens implant in my eyes oh. which which did not really improve my vision but uh, got rid of those thick glasses and then the glasses that i am wearing right now yeah. those are, don't appear to be really thick those are to correct the uh, vision but then i already have a lens implanted in my eyes your eyes do you feel it what well, what's that like so i don't feel it because it's already implanted in its part of my eyes now okay. but then last year or last to last year i had this thing where uh, the lens had shifted oh wow like it was moving and i didn't realize uh, neither did a lot of doctors know the what the what happened the diagnosis did not happen until last uh, january so it was a pursuit to uh, diagnose what was wrong for about two and a half years i i took some eye drops which would uh, uh, reduce the size of pupil so even the lens was moving the pupil would still be inside the lens so mm -hmm. and i could not have problem but then i saw this i i visited doctor in nepal india and a lot of other places in the us as well but then in 
January 2019, I saw this doctor in Portland mm. uh, at Oregon Health and Sciences uh, University. And then he figured out that could have been the case. And then he sutured the lens in my eyes. And then that's when I he had my... sutured the lens in your eyes. Yeah. My goodness. So that could have... Uh, that has helped me a lot. And that was... Uh, I had my second surgery in May 2019, right after, before graduating from college. Gotcha. And that could not have been possible with the really good health insurance that I had in my university. Gotcha. So that my student union had fought to get for grad graduate employees. Graduate employees. And yeah, they're yeah they're still struggling with keeping the health insurance because uh, yeah health insurance is uh, expensive, man. Tell me about yeah. it. Everything is expensive here in the bloody U.S. Yeah. But uh, hey, man, uh, uh, sorry you had to go through that. You know, growing up, um, we all have. Uh, uh, some form of challenge, especially coming from a developing country yeah. uh, or the other. But, you know, looking at the bright side, you know, hey, there might be some advantage to that. You know, if, if you have like a girlfriend or a wife and you say, oh, why are you looking at another girl? I say, you know, you know, I can't see another girl. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah I, can, I can totally use that uh, to my favor. Yeah, exactly. So there's, there's always a bright side of things. Oh, but, yeah. And totally uh, like. When you brought out the uh, wife, how you can um, how you can totally defend yourself. But for me, my wife, I'm I'm married. Uh, it's been about uh, more than a year now, and then she's been really supportive of me in whatever she knew the condition I had. But then um, she was totally supportive, and even when getting married, she might have had. Uh, uh, question from her family members but she never let me feel anything bad about it which i really appreciate about her mm. so she does not see my limitations but my uh, good qualities that would totally overshadow uh, those limitations oh, so wow. i i uh, i should appreciate that and i'm really grateful about that yeah, that's a special woman, man. They don't make them like that these days. What's her <laughs> What's her name? Her name is Suveksha. Suveksha. Yeah. And how long have you been married? Uh, we got married in June 2018. So Okay, so it's been a little over a year now. Yeah, it's been a little over a year. And right after getting married, uh, she left her career in New Delhi and then decided to move to the U.S. with me. And then we have been, uh, like she came with me in... Uh, September 2018, and then, yeah, we are here. She's with me. Oh, nice, nice. So for those of our listeners, or for even me, people who are unmarried, yeah. <laughs> what's, what are the top two, uh, what's the top two advice you give to unmarried people, people hoping to get married sometime in the future, having been married for a year plus now? Yeah, just um, just don't limit yourself or don't draw boundaries. Because uh, don't draw boundaries. Yeah, you don't you just don't tag anything or any kind of behavior. Because there are there are things you just feel right when mm. the right moment comes, and just don't be uh, don't limit yourself to oh I I I want this kind of uh, person or something like that. Because mm. uh, you never know what what qualities of a person you would like. Right now, you might think you would not want to date uh, someone who has XXX features, but then somewhere down the line, those might change because this you always keep on changing, right? And yeah. your uh, perspective towards life, what you need in life, always changes. 
Tell me about it, man. When I was younger, I wanted to be an astronaut. Tell me about it. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> hey, that's not totally impossible right now, but, you know, I'm just saying that, you know, um, as, you, as you go in life, you know, uh, meet new people, uh, gain new uh, experiences, uh, then your outlook on life and your interaction with other people. It's just like starting this podcast, you know, as I get to talk to people from different cultures, then I start to see the world differently. Yeah. And I always used to joke that this podcast is more or less for me than the, the people that are even listening. <laughs> but uh, in, in a way, why, you know, while making it mutually beneficial for all, all groups of people. So, yeah, and this is a really good thing that you are doing i envy you when i uh, get to listen to your podcast and then see that you not only get to interact but then know people at a different level who uh well for me i might not be opening up myself in that level to everyone but then you get to be the special one who gets to know the other side of a garage probably no one in uh, my workplace would be able to get that side of me ever because I would not have the opportunity to open up, open right? Up. And it's not something that just happens randomly. It needs a series of um, a trust that I gain from you. You you make me uh, feed in a comfortable space where I am okay with sharing my uh, story with you. Oh, so thank you for doing this. Oh, I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. But I would say, I would say this, uh, regardless of what our relationship is like, uh, one day you would have gotten drunk in front of me. I would have been the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> but that's just by the way. So, so you got married a year ago. Uh-huh. Did you have a traditional Nepalese wedding? How's your wedding like? Yeah, we had a mix of traditional Nepali wedding. We had a day of Nepali wedding. And Maybe I should days. ask, what is a traditional Nepali wedding? Uh, I was born in a Hindu family and my family and Subhiksha's family, they still follow a lot of Hindu culture. So mm-hmm. we uh, we got married in a Hindu way of uh, wedding. Okay. And it involves... that like, like the dresses or the practices? What happens? Yeah, it's it's more about the practices and red is an, uh, an auspicious color during the wedding. Okay. So the bride dresses up red and then there are some jewelries and the groom. It's also about a lot of uh, rituals, like making some commitments to God and all those things, which... Uh, Give me an example. Give me one ritual that happens during the Nepali wedding. So one of the practices is uh, you. there is a fire and then you take oaths, uh, oaths uh, in front of the fire as the fire is a symbol of a, a, a God of a purity and uh, so simple things like that. Okay. And uh, also... Uh, Elders giving blessing and all those things. So just that is a part of uh, the culture. Is it is it important uh, in today's Nepal that people? Uh, let me first ask. What's I, I can imagine? Maybe I might be wrong, but is Hinduism the predominant re- religion in Nepal? Yeah. So Hinduism is eighty uh, percent. About eighty percent of Nepalese uh, follow Hinduism, okay. and there are ten percent who follow Buddhism. Okay. And but the thing with Hinduism and Buddhism is that these two relig- religions go hand in hand because there are a lot of mixed culture between people who follow Buddhism as a religion and then Hinduism as a religion. We share a lot of festivals. Mm. So these this is these are not two distinct religion. They're intermingled in a lot of uh, different ways. And uh, we have people. Uh, I don't know the exact figures uh, of how many Muslims are there, probably about 4 to 5 percentage. And um, Christianity is also growing. 
because uh, I would say that in Hinduism, the things that I do not like is um, the fact that there is a caste system. Mm. Oh, wait, is that religious? I thought that was cultural. That is cultural, but then a lot of it is presented by the religion itself. Oh, and, really? Uh, so in, if you want to avoid the caste system, there people just avoid the religion. So they form a different different religion. They, they adapt to a different religion. And, and the caste system, um, for, for those who are listening who might not understand, is, is kind of like a, a way by which over time the society has has grouped different people based on certain characteristics. Based on the birth. Like based on no birth, based on last name, right? Yeah. It's, just it's like just, how it is in India. Just yeah. you have one last name and you automatically belong to one caste and you belong to other caste. Like, exactly. It's uh, from something you have no control over. But let me ask this question. What about people, like you said, people who are fleeing the conflicts, people who came abroad, um, is the caste system still, like, people who are, like, outside of Nepal, do they still, like, follow the caste system? Like, if if, you, if someone meets a fellow Nepali man or woman on the street, say, in Canada or something, and he hears the person's last name, will he associate or not associate with it? How strong is the caste system outside of uh, Nepal? That is a good question. So, uh, I have see, seen and met a lot of people who still... Uh, associated with associate with that caste system, but I haven't experienced even in my generation in Nepal. I haven't. I have never uh, experienced untouchability or anything myself. Mm. But I have seen people practice that. And uh, outside Nepal, I have not seen the uh, caste system to that extent. But you can always see uh, the difference that people um, people have and people practice and caste system. If you Tell me a full name of a Nepali, 90% of the times I can tell you that can which class they belong to. Mm. So that's why most of the times I don't like to tell my complete name. Mm. I just want to introduce myself from by my first name. Okay. But so then... Can we if, use your complete name in the description? Of oh, this? yeah, totally. Uh, okay. I have no problem with that. But then if, you, if I introduce myself with uh, any... Older people who have come from Nepal to the U.S., mm -hmm. they would ask me, what is your last name? Mm. And where in Nepal do you uh, live? Where in Kathmandu do you live? Wow. With these two answers, they can narrow down my socioeconomic status wow. on the place in Kathmandu I live in and the caste I belong to. Damn. So that is something I do not like because this is not something I earned, right? This yeah. is something I was born with. Yeah. This is uh, a sort of a privilege that I have never earned. And I don't think I should uh, take advantage of this. Yeah, and it's it's interesting you say that. You mentioned the word uh, untouchables, which I think they have in India also. Uh, it's, uh, and I always get, I was reading about... Uh, What's his name? B.K. Amdekar? Oh, yeah. Uh, B.R. Amdekar. B.B.R. Amdekar, the Indian e economist and, and lawyer who pretty much... Did he write the Constitution of India? He was the chairman of the uh, drafting committee of uh, Indian Constitution. Yeah, and he, he was such an educated individual, but he was from a lower caste, or from a caste where some people might consider untouchable. And just imagine the millions of people whose potential are not being used to contribute to the economic development of Nepal just because of this system, like the caste system. Is the government doing anything about it or they are kind of like confirm, conforming to culture and religion and letting the people have uh, 
their way of life. The government basically. is definitely doing a lot of things, uh, but then uh, the government is also the government and then the bureaucracy is also dominated by people who are so so called high caste and then high uh, caste high caste uh, from okay. mostly the brahmins and chhatris who are who have a strong hold in the bureaucracy and the government wait isn't nepal a democracy it is a democracy but then you see it is a structural thing mm. right people who have been marginalized for a generation it takes multiple generations to bring them in power mm. So people who are already there will keep on growing. But then unless there is a strong pull for the people who have been marginalized and oppressed for a generation, it mm. takes a lot of effort. And this is, again, bringing back to uh, equity kind of thing. You cannot just give equal opportunity or reservation for one time, the quotas and everything. It takes generation of effort. Effort. But uh, what about money? Does money change anything? Like economics, if, uh, let's say, money is involved or uh, they had this economic prosperity, does that compel people to like work together and live together or oh, yeah, totally. religion is stronger? Money changes everything. Money is um, money speaks. Okay, so, right? so well, ultimate uh, religion, huh? Uh, yeah, I would I would not be afraid to say that because money, money changes all dynamics, but then to... To get rid of this stigma, it takes a lot of education, uh, a lot of uh, awareness among people, and then we need people to empathize. Because sympathy is so easy, but then it takes real effort to uh, empathize. True. And you cannot empathize by just saying words. You need to have a lived experience. Uh, and that's to, the thing. A, yeah. lot, a lot of people don't have the experiences of other people, so there is no way in hell they can... Like, I just bought a car, right, for the first time in my life. Before I had a car, like, I, I knew nothing about, you know, all this stuff about getting gas. And, like, I knew about it, but, you know, experiencing living through it. Exactly. The, through the, uh, living through owning a car is a different experience than, you know, having a father that owns a car, having a family member that owns a car. So, when, for people, the millions of people in the world are not exposed to the certain experiences of, uh, certain groups who are discriminated against, how do we then expect those people to have empathy? Like, what what can we do to expect those people to have empathy? It's, it is, it's a very it is really story. difficult, Nosa. I would, uh, and I'm I'm a little. Um, uh, I I came I grew up in this um, so-called uh, privileged caste. All my life, people around me were people who looked like me. I never. Uh, got a chance to experience diversity and then the importance of uh, bringing minority in the same table and then have them uh, have the same voice. But then coming to the U.S., I was on the other side of the table mm. as a minority. Preach. And then I saw that there is a gap and there should be some effort from the uh, people who are in power uh, to bring bridge that gap. Start so from the top, huh? Exactly. If I were, if I never came to the U.S., I would probably have. It would have taken me twenty plus years to come in this level of consciousness mm. about why we need to uh, give equal opportunity for everyone and make the space equitable for everyone. Aha! Uh -huh. So environment is a very important key, also. Totally. So. Hey, it's interesting we're having this conversation. Let's take it down a notch and talk about something lighter. Okay, yeah. Let's talk about food. <laughs> so, 
Uh, we, we, we've both gone to, uh, no, that was a Nepalese store we went to. I think that, that was a Nepalese store. No, that was Lakshmi a Nepalese food, store. Yeah. Oh, yeah, Lakshmi. Yeah, that, that was a, a Nepalese store we went to. And I've been privileged to have tasted some very interesting uh, food from Nepal. Mm -hmm. uh, but tell me, what's like the popular staple food? I know like trupi is like a very popular snack kind of, but mm -hmm. what's like a popular staple food that, that everyone like eats like almost every day in Nepal? Yeah, so almost every day people eat rice, mm. uh, lentils, lentils, lentil soup. Okay. And, How do we make lentils? Uh, from grains, um, there are different kinds of uh, grains. Grains like vegetables? No, grain. Oh, grain. grain. Yeah. Oh, okay, okay, okay. So from from that, you just... Um, you eat it with the rice. Yeah, it, it's form of soup or a little thick kind of soup. Mm. Depends on what, what kind of lentil it is. Oh, yeah. So that and then some form of curry. And even when I was growing Nosa, uh, meat was a delicacy in Nepal. There weren't a lot of meat shops around. Really? And yeah, because uh, we 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 did not practice like huge poultry farms or something. The chicken would be grown free range chicken, and then meat it was still delicacy, and we would eat meat once or twice a week. But well, if eighty percent of the country are Hindus, uh, how, how is meat so popular? Because uh, is it beef like cow beef? Uh, we don't have uh, Hindus don't uh, slaughter beef. Okay. So and even the constitution of, prevents people from slaughtering cows. Gotcha. And uh, other forms of meat and uh, uh, basically chicken is uh, some kind of uh, neutral meat which uh, almost everyone eats. Quick qu quick question. I I'm sorry to cut you short. Is there, are there Chick-fil-A's in Nepal? We don't have a lot of uh, <laughs> chain restaurants in Nepal. No, I, yeah. I had to ask that because, cause, and this is no disrespect for anyone listening to who's Hindu, but you know, uh, when you said, you know, it's against uh, the law, is literally in the constitution. Uh, the, wait, what's the penalty for like if i'm caught slaughtering a cow will, will i get jail time a bond i have no idea it's it's against the law that is all i know oh, but okay. then yeah and uh so that is there and chick-fil-a uh, good point we did not have a lot of uh, fast food chains in nepal so everyone most people eat at home eat at home or there are mm. local restaurants or something like that Nice. And the recent uh, fast food restaurant was uh, KFC that was that opened in Kathmandu. KFC and Pizza Hut that was opened uh, less than ten years ago. Gotcha. So those are the ones that are popular. We don't have Starbucks in Nepal. Mm. We have our local coffee chains and stuff. Is Nepal a coffee country or tea country? I would say tea, but mm. coffee is growing. Okay. And uh, so we we have we don't have this big market for specialty tea. Because here, uh, if you look at the price range in coffee and tea, probably tea would be a little highly priced than coffee, right? Because mm -hmm. uh, coffee is um, a basic commodity. But in Nepal, the tea that we consume is the uh, a little lower grade of tea, that is CTC tea, and it's not the... Um, CTC tea? Yeah, CTC tea. I do not... Don't ask me the full form of CTC. Okay. Those are uh, the really dehydrated, and they are... You might have uh, come across with chai tea, chai. Oh, I know chai. Yeah, that, yeah. that, that same thing. Gotcha. So that is popular and you can uh, get uh, tea for as somewhere around 10 to 15 rupees. That's about 10 to 15 cents. 
in roadside vendors, which is really popular. You cannot find anything. Wait, so they actually chai shots on the road where they do the oh, chai, yeah, like totally. they, and we have stuff like that in Nigeria too. We call them chai, especially in like northern Nigeria. So it's not chai with a C, it's uh-huh. chai with a with an S. Okay. Uh, it just goes to show that you know we're thousands of miles away, but I can draw uh similarities uh between you know both our cultures and it just goes to show that you know uh people might want to say hey you know i'm from a different race but at the end of the day everyone is human right everyone belongs to the human race so we can always like draw similarities and instead of giving ourselves the excuses of being different Mm -hmm. we can instead you know pick out those similarities and look for ways to bond together so Talking, exactly. talking about the food, what do you like to eat? What do you like to? Can you cook? Uh, yeah, I do. I do uh, cook. Okay. And I, I make uh, food that's edible. Yeah. Well, food. <laughs> I, I can make curries. Food that's I can, edible. <laughs> yeah. I can make curries. I can make noodles. I. Uh, it's actually I. I am the in charge of breakfast every morning, so I make breakfast for myself and breakfast for my wife. Okay. And before coming to the office. Oh, nice. That's so, so nice. So I, I do breakfast, but Subiksha is better cook than me. So uh, she has the uh, opportunity to cook uh, for me. Yeah, gotcha. But we share, uh, we share turns. Uh, yesterday I made some uh, Nepali-style noodle soup. It's mm. a lot of veggies and then, which is, which was hot, sour. Yeah. And that is really good for in cold days yeah especially where we are right in denver exactly what about this chirpy thing what's chirpy like it's like made of milk what what's what's that for people who are listening who might not know yeah so chirpy is a form of snack it is really similar to cheese but then it is uh, hard and then um like smoked form of uh, uh milk product mm. and uh, it is mostly uh, prevalent in the mountainous regions that's where they make it and to go to the history of churpi so um, in the mountain areas you cannot really uh, in in rural parts of nepal or even uh, tibet in across the himalayas you cannot really store milk for a longer time right mm, so no refrigeration have, no yeah. electricity when you have uh, uh, milk that you um, take out from cow or even yaks, what do you do with that? You cannot drink them all. So you take fat out of it. Mm. And then you make uh, you um, uh, need to store the rest of the milk. What's the process of taking fat out of the milk? Traditionally, what's that process like? Do they put it like, they allow it to ferment in a bucket? What, what's the... So what I uh, what we used to do to take out fat was uh, we used to uh, boil it and then there is a cream separator mm. a machine that separates fat and then uh, we would uh, uh, then the fat would come out but then again uh, in 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 villages what my village would we would do was uh, we have a little uh, blade kind of thing with wooden blade. Okay. Which we run across in the milk pot, yeah. and then if it when it spins, it just uh, moves the milk, and then it separates fat, and then all the fat gets collected in the blade, the wooden thing in the middle, which has a, a wheel kind of structure. Does that require a lot of physical energy? To do? Yeah, you have to just move it back and forth, uh, and then I have done that as a kid. So in village, we did not have these fancy equipments to extract fat, right? So I, I did that. And after you extract fat, to make churpi, the, you need to coagulate milk. 
So mm-hmm. if you add something a little sour, then the milk gets separated, right? So you you strain that thing and then you uh, you take out the uh, solid part yeah. of the milk and then you uh, put them in a, 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 a cast when you, where you put uh, a lot of pressure to it. A cast like a mold. Yeah, like a mold. Oh. And you put a lot of pressure into it and. Uh, in in the uh, rural parts, mountainous part, they put huge stone slabs to create the pressure, mm. and then for a few days it's it's been there, and then it's a little um, in a shape, yeah. and you would put them uh, over your stove or somewhere where there is smoke, and it would just uh, make it hard, make it hot, and then this would take like traditionally how the people used to do it it would take months about three months you wow. would smoke it and then it becomes hard and then there is three months yeah and firewood smoke it would give them a lot of texture yeah and all those things and then that would be uh, and it would still have some fat and then that would not be a lot brittle but then you it would take time for you to chew it and that would be a, a really good source of uh, uh, protein because it has solid not fat part of the milk as well and then some fat uh, so it's expensive does it do people sell it on the street or is it like such a popular product that everyone like? it is uh, it is not really expensive i would say yeah for a snack it is fairly priced and i don't know the exact price right now because uh, it's, I've been out of that market for about four years now, so I cannot tell you. As much price. as you can remember, give me what, what are like prices of, like, let me say, common everyday items in Nepalese rupees. Like, what's the price of a phone, for instance? A phone, it's quite similar to how much it is in the U.S. Okay. Uh, but then if you look at, um, let's say, we we buy milk in um, in packets of a, a pound. Okay. So one pound milk probably would cost now about. 45 cents or something, 45, 50 cents. Okay. And milk in the U.S. is really cheap. Like compared to uh, other parts of the world, milk in the U.S. is cheap. So you cannot yeah. compare milk. But then uh, veggies are cheaper than meat items, which is really opposite here. Veggies are expensive than meat items Tell in the U.S., about right? It, uh, uh, so, it's a conspiracy. <laughs> yeah. Cost of living is higher in Nepal, but rent is cheap. Okay. Figure me this. How much is a bag of rice in Nepal? I'm serious about this rice importation thing. So, yeah, a bag of rice, if you buy decent kind of rice, then that would cost you about... A 20 kg bag would cost you about... In rupees first. Yeah, about 3,500 rupees. 3,500 rupees. That's about $30. 30 bucks. Okay, so in Naira, that's about maybe like nine, ten thousand 10,000 Naira. Mm-hmm. Which is like almost half the price I think is going now. Yeah. So uh, factoring transportation costs, boom, boom, boom. Anyway, don't worry, that's my MBA it's, talking. It's not. <laughs> it's not economical to transfer rice uh, from Nepal to Nigeria. Yeah. You might want to look it. into different places. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, but wait. I mean, I think we we kind of bring some rice from Taiwan, I guess. From no, sorry, from Thailand mm-hmm. and some things, which is. But anyway, I digress. Uh, that's that's by the way. Um, how many languages do you speak? I speak three languages, Nepali, Hindi, uh, English. Oh, wait. So the language, uh, indigenous to Nepal is called Nepali. Mm-hmm. Oh, why do I always think it was called Nepalese? So this is, um, 
we call it Nepali in Nepali language, mm-hmm. and then maybe it is is said as Nepalese in English, but then yeah, it's it's Nepali. Nepali. So how do I say like hi? My name is Nosa in Nepali. Uh, hi is Namaste. Namaste. Yeah, yeah. I know that. Namaste. Mero nam. Namaste. Nero nam. That's my uh, name. Mero. Is Mero. Mero nam. Mero nam. Nosa. Nosa. Ho. Ho. Yeah. What's the ho at the end? So, uh, Nepali language, the structure. So if you if we go down to English language sentence structure, yeah. that is subject, verb, and object, right? Object, correct. But the Nepali is subject, object, and verb. The so ho uh, is a be verb. Mero nam nosa ho. Oh, okay, okay. That's pretty interesting. Yeah, so it is, it is a different structure. So most people speak Nepali uh, pretty yeah, much. And most of the young generation uh, are able to converse in English as well. No, oh, okay. Okay, cool. Um, yeah, it's been pretty interesting, you know, getting to learn one or two things about your country, where you're from. Uh, let me ask you a few questions about experiences you've had outside your country. Mm-hmm. I know you currently live in the U.S. with your wife, but have you been to other countries before? What was your first experience like leaving Kathmandu, leaving Nepal? And um, yeah, what culture was your first culture to experience besides the Nepali culture? Yeah, I, I uh, the first time I left the country to travel on my own was uh, I went to India. Uh, that was when I was uh, about 19, 20 years old. That seems to be like a popular trip, right? Nepal to India. Yeah. 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 We don't your, need your a visa. worked in Mumbai, right? She, she was in New Delhi. Oh, in New but Delhi. Then, I'm yeah, sorry. It was back in 2009. I didn't know her. Gotcha. So I, I traveled with my friend. We took the train from across the border from Nepal and then went to New Delhi, visited. And uh, yeah, that was the first time I left the country. But then the culture in Nepal and India was not that different. Because we watched a lot of Bollywood movies and we knew about, we knew the language, we knew how the people would be. But then again, experiencing the culture going there by yourself and then watching it in television is totally different. So people, uh, the food, India has a lot of variety of food than compared to Nepal. And uh, Nepalese food are a little less on oil and less on spice than Indian food. Mm. So it's a little more mild. And uh, yeah, the people in New Delhi were, uh, there, there were a lot of people. <laughs> like New Delhi has a lot of people. Aren't there a lot of people in Kathmandu? But it's not the same. Not as much as New Delhi. New Delhi is <laughs> No, I mean big, like the big hustle city. and the bustle is different. Yeah, right? it's, it <laughs> is. But uh, I see people in Kathmandu are a little less aggressive and less uh, in a rush than in other parts of India, like mm. big cities in India. In New Delhi, people are always in a rush and they're a little more aggressive. Yeah, you should uh, come to Lagos, man. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, that was the first experience I had. But then after that, I uh, traveled to uh, Japan. I traveled to uh, Singapore. I traveled to uh, I, England. I traveled to Canada, Thailand. Wow. Uh, I traveled to France. Wow, Italy. yeah, yeah, well-traveled young man. What took uh, you on Greece? all these trips? You just wanted to go or? Yeah, I, I have traveled to a lot of places in Nepal and I wanted to experience more 
So I just I just went there and um, yeah, it was some of them was uh, uh, after getting married. I traveled to Thailand with Subeksha and her family, mm. and um, for our uh, honeymoon, we went to few places in Europe. Like but you France. went you went for honeymoon with your wife's family? No, uh, no. After getting married, we just took a trip to Thailand oh, with okay. wife's family. But for honeymoon, we went to uh, Paris. Oh wow! And uh, Santorini in Greece, in Greece, and Venice in Italy, Rome in Italy. Wow! So those those places, and then we came to the U.S. We traveled to different cities before I got back to school. So we traveled to New York, uh, Washington D.C., Boston. Gotcha. And, yeah, all those places. Wow, that and must have been an amazing honeymoon. Man. It was. It was a long stretch of honeymoon, and yeah. Other than that, I've traveled to. Uh, Vancouver, uh, Canada. I took my mom there because uh, she she wanted to go to Canada, and I I was in uh, Oregon that time. It was closer for us to go to Canada. Yeah. And I have uh, I have been to Toronto, in yeah, and I've been to Japan, um, Tokyo, and Kyoto. Kyoto. Yeah. I don't know where that is. It's it's um it's the old capital of Japan. Oh, before so, Tokyo. Before Tokyo, gotcha. about um, yeah, several hundred years, I would say, and it's it's uh, a city of temples. There are a lot of temples, and uh, yeah, Kyoto is a really good place to visit. I've yeah, I've also been to Singapore. Hmm. Which of these uh, destinations uh, fascinated you the most, and what were you fascinated by? I I really liked how clean, how systematic, how well behaved. Uh, People of Japan were, and the mm. like, system was. Really uh, yeah, yeah, good. they are really respectful in Japan. Yeah. Like, you would not in the local trains, you would not hear people uh, speak to be respectful of other people's, other people. uh, wow. like not disturbing other people. And when you get to a train, uh, you would not carry your bag at the back. You would just hold it because if it's at back, it might uh, hit it's, someone. Wow. And then, yeah, people. Are really cultured there. So I can imagine in, in Japan they don't have those big obnoxious Ford trucks that we see in America. People driving and making noise, <laughs> screeching all over. Yeah, and public transport <laughs> is really good in Japan, Tokyo, and even in Kyoto we took buses and it was really good. Oh, wow, yeah, really and nice. we took the bullet train from going to Tokyo to uh, Kyoto. How was, how how far was it? It, it took us about. I don't know the exact time that it took us, but then about three hours, I guess. Okay. On a bullet train? Yeah. Okay. That must have been some distance. Yeah, we got to see the Mount Fuji on our way there. It was a nice experience. Nice, nice. Yeah, I did uh, ice skating for the first time in, in Tokyo. Wow, what, what an excuse to go to Tokyo, man. I mean, uh, I feel like this ice, ice skating. We <laughs> <laughs> yeah. might as well go to Tokyo. Uh, uh, so you've pretty much been to uh, Europe. You've been to, um, of course, you've been to parts of Asia. Um, you've been to. You haven't been to Australia. You haven't I been haven't, to Africa. No, these uh, are the two continents I haven't been to. I haven't been, you haven't to, been Australia. to South America. No, I haven't been. The most south of the U.S. I have been is to Mexico. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, but I I really want to go uh, to a few countries in South America, especially. Uh, uh, Machu Picchu in Peru. Mm. I really wanted to go there. I want to, yeah, I want to go to the extreme tip of uh, Chile mm. to see the penguins. Wow, that's really specific. Yeah. 
Oh, that'd be that'd be nice. I mean, I interviewed someone from uh, Uruguay, and uh, I, I wouldn't know if I, I classify Uruguay. Yeah, Uruguay is in South America. Yeah, yeah, it's in South America, but uh, I guess this is not too far from Chile. Uh, but I didn't know Chile even had penguins. Yeah, um, because penguins are in the uh, southern uh, southern pole, right? South pole, and polar bears are in the North pole. So mm. penguins and polar bears never meet. They never meet. Yeah. Wait. So are you saying it snows in Chile? Chile is freezing. Chile is. Oh cold. yeah, totally. Oh, obviously it's called Chile. <laughs> I don't know. It's uh, Chile. And I'm just Chile, joking. Chile. I'm joking. <laughs> it's it's I'm joking. The, the geography of Chile definitely looks like a Chile. Really? Like if you like look the at map. the map, yeah, it looks like a Chile. Yeah, it's probably oh. it's it's somewhere somehow resembles or something yeah oh so that might be another discussion you might find a chilean yeah, I mean, I, talk to now i want to interview a chilean <laughs> now i want to interview a chilean i haven't interviewed a chilean i've always wanted to interview a brazilian also uh i don't think i've wait do i no my podcast is listened to in brazil but i don't think i've interviewed a brazilian yet but yeah, um, thank you so much, Agraj, uh, for coming here. Um, uh, what can we do? We we just try to, you know, have a very casual conversation. But in in doing that, you know, we, we try to disseminate certain information and break certain stereotypes. So hopefully some of the people that are listening will be going, oh, I didn't know that. Oh, really? I know that. But before we uh, move on to the end of the podcast, do you have any questions about, like, Nigeria? I don't know if you're... Uh, you are curious about anything or if you, you've heard about anything, anything I can help you answer to the best of my ability, even though I don't represent the whole country, <laughs> that kind of thing. So, how, yeah, I have, I, have a, I have a question. So what is the uh, uh, youth entrepreneurship scene in Nigeria? What yeah. are the emerging, uh, emerging, uh, emerging best uh, practices in Nigeria that would empower youth to grow towards entrepreneurship? Hey, you empower youth. Uh, and maybe I can answer that question in two ways. Uh, to be very honest and to be very candid, uh, the average Nigerian youth is very entrepreneurial, has that drive, has that spirit to kind of make something for themselves. Uh, but unfortunately, like, you know, most of the developing countries in the world, the uh, enabling environment is not really there. Mm -hmm. So... One thing people have really been getting into is like entertainment. That's like the easiest. Uh, so whether that's entertainment, you know, in the broad sense of thing, whether that's uh, music, movies, sports, or you know things like that, that's like the easiest way, and that's one of the the least regulated. <laughs> let me put it that way, yeah. industry. Because you know we have a few guys there pushing it out there with tech, but sometimes uh, you get frustrated by the environment they are doing business in, especially when they are competing with people in Silicon Valley and all these places. Uh, but entertainment has been something. Entertainment sports has been something that you know the youth has really um, used to give joy to the country and used to like put themselves out of poverty. So name the sport and name the region of the world there's like a nigerian there you know so yeah. even in japan i think there's like a nigerian comedian and it was really like popular in japan oh. and you know whether from boxing or from cricket uh, kung fu whatever like there's a nigerian somewhere <laughs> doing something yeah so yeah uh, that that's uh, my broad answer if i didn't answer it correctly and you're nigerian no, you, you totally did, yeah <laughs> but 
Um, so let's wrap up the podcast with something called Endgame. Uh-huh. Like I said, um, I, I just have two questions that I jotted down here. Uh, over the course of our conversation, we've been having like a very casual conversation and, you know, disseminating information in a very casual way. But I try to be a little bit deliberate at the end of the episode so people know exactly uh, what we're expecting them to learn. So I ask you a question and, you know, you, you try to answer it to center on Nepal since that's where you're from. And it's just a way of like educating our audience in a deliberate manner. So Yeah, sure. Okay. So first question, are you ready? Yes. And you, you can phone a friend, you can phone Shvekia if you want. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, so of course, Nepal is uh, a region that's very mountainous. And there's also a country that uh, houses, uh, should I say, all of Everest or part of Everest? Uh, Everest, uh, the peak is in Nepal. Okay. Uh, the the north face is in uh, Tibet, mm. and the other part is in Nepal. But the peak is in Nepal. Is in Nepal. Okay. So I guess it's safe to say uh, the peak of Everest is in Nepal, uh, a mountainous region. But what is the local name for Nepal for for Mount Everest in Nepal? Uh, it's Sagarmatha. Yeah, that was that's correct. Actually, <laughs> do you do you happen to know what that means? Yeah, it's the uh, Sagar is the top and Mata is the head. So yeah, it's the it's the head of the, head. the world. Yeah, yeah, Sagar Mata. Yeah, that's that's what it's called. And yeah, yeah, that's correct. And I also like saw another word, Chomolung. That's the Tibetan Chomolungma. Oh, Chomolungma is a Tibetan. Yeah. Oh, okay, okay. Since the mountain is in two 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 different countries. Yeah, and. And the the culture that is shared in the region where Everest is, mm. there is a lot of uh, Tibetan culture interaction. So, and there will there are a lot of people who speak Tibetan in that region. Although they are in Nepal, they speak Tibetan. So, Tibetan culture is really uh, powerful there. Oh, okay, cool. Second question: uh, With which hand is it appropriate to eat with in Nepal? Right hand. Oh, okay. So <laughs> that was easy. And yeah. the reason I asked that question is that it's the same in Nigeria also. Yeah. Uh, you know, shaking people with the left hand is seen as a form of disrespect. You don't give people things with the left hand. Uh, most times, in fact, there was some form of discrimination with people who were lefties at one point in time, which was crazy. Uh, but, you know. Yeah, they're like, I have a few friends who are lefty, but then they were forced to use the right hand because... How can you be forced to use your right hand? Just imagine Messi being forced to use his right leg. Well, yeah, that happens. You, they, people think that people um, can be trained or something. Gotcha. Uh, uh, yeah. And and there's there's also one more thing I heard about Nepal. Like, it's it's also impolite to, like, share a cup or a bottle or a can by putting your lips on the can. That once you put your lips on the can, then, you know, no one else would, like, Acts for yeah, that, that is a general though. practice. We uh, when yeah, people if you kiss a bottle and then drink from it, people generally don't like to share. To share, but then that also depends like people to people. People to people. Mm-hmm. Man, I wish that was prevalent. Man, when <laughs> I went when I went to primary school in Nigeria, you know, buy a bottle of cocoa you know, when I went in elementary school or primary school. No matter what you do, like people will still. Like, like, yeah, I put my lips on the bottle. I don't care, man. I need some of that Coke yeah. or something. But anyway, it's been interesting talking to you. Um, thank you so much for coming. I like to give my guests, like, a few minutes to, like, put something out there. If you want to make, like, a statement, you want to tell people to follow you on social media. If you want to, 
uh, I don't know, speak something to existence, something you've always wanted to do and you want to document, whatever it is, uh, you have like a minute or two to, to just uh, say your mind. Yeah, sure. Thank you, Nosa, uh, for giving me this opportunity. And uh, I would like to tell people that um, life is out there. Just You need to just go give it a try. Because there is nothing that uh, is wrong there unless you go out there and try. And then the most important thing in life is you need to be honest and then you need to be integral and you need to follow your dream. Because if it feels right to you, it is definitely going to be right. And just don't give up on your dreams. And mm. like it might take several uh, long period of time to accomplish those dreams. But then while you're chasing those dreams, life is what happens in between. Mm. You go there. And right now, I might be seeing myself doing something in five years. But then towards my journey that to the end of five, fifth year, I might be, have different things in my mind to do. So things can change. Don't be stubborn. Be open to new ideas and be respectful to other people. Be humble mm. and be try to be empathetic. That's all. Thank you. Oh, thank you so much, uh, Agraj. And for those who are listening, you can also follow us on social media. It's Culture Class Podcast everywhere. On Twitter, it's Culture Class Pod. Uh, send us an email, cultureclasspodcast at gmail.com. If you have a question for us, if you have a question for Agraj, we'll make sure he gets that. And uh, till next episode, stay safe, guys. Bye-bye.